This morning, our scripture reading will be from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshai, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, thanks, Tracy, too. That was, that was a wonderful reading. And my name's uh, Nathan. Uh, it's a blessing to serve this church as one of the elders on the pastoral team. So I'll be giving the uh, preaching today. Um, uh, so last week you had, uh, I said this last service, last, year, last week you had Ben. He actually did the reading in the last service too, so kind of came to mind beforehand. Ben's from upstate New York. I'm from Alabama. 
So it's like uh, accent whiplash the last two weeks. So I don't know if it's an upgrade or downgrade with me, but you got me. So all right, all right. So let's go to the word to the word in prayer and and ask his blessing. Lord, just thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that uh, Elijah is a type um, that Lord points to the the true King, the true Prophet uh, Jesus that we can put our trust in, and that. Uh, You're a good and gracious God that gives us provision in in your presence, Father. uh, May this word over the next few minutes, um, Lord, as you tell us in Hebrews, uh, cut our marrow, cut down to us, to us to the quick, and uh, and change our lives, Father, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we're in 1 Kings uh, 19 today, and um, just as an overview, let's just take a second and and go back through what we've looked at over the last few weeks when it comes to Elijah. So, um, for one, Elijah, over the last few chapters, has been living quite the life. A lot of times it reminds me kind of a Bear Grylls or John the Baptist. Um, so, so, first off, several chapters ago, he predicts a drought. Uh, in doing so, Ahab, he becomes basically an enemy of the state. So, the king, the king is Ahab. He's king over Israel. Um, so, he's, he's forced to, to run, to live in the bush. Um, he's, while he's there, he's fed by crows, some... Some Bible translations say ravens, um, and eventually he ends up with a uh, living with a widow for a time period where God miraculously prov- provides for the widow and for Elijah, and Elijah heals uh, through God heals her son through Elijah as well. So this crazy life so far, and then he confronts Ahab again, <laughs> and we talked about this last week. I love what he calls Ahab. He, he goes straight to Ahab and he calls Ahab. He says, "You are a troubler, a troubler," and he, that, that's pretty bold to say that to the king. Uh, eventually, he confronts the pagan gods that are being worshipped there that, that, that Israelites are turning their hearts towards. They're adding on extra gods, the gods of Baal. And um, he confronts them, and we talked more about last week, that God miraculously shows his power among the prophets of Baal. He destroys the prophets of Baal, and he brings his power down from as, um, as, as, uh, as far from heaven. And... Um, and you would think at this point, right? So that's, that's what we're up to. This is the end point. We're up to this point. You would think at this point, Israel's got the idea. They're going to turn their hearts to the one true God, Yahweh, and there's going to be revival in the land. But there's not. There's no revival coming to Israel. In fact, and just to, to summarize what we're getting into now, in fact, this next section opens up, and Jezebel's sending sending her troops, her people, to go kill Elijah. And Elijah doesn't respond in the way you would expect him to. The way he did against the 450 prophets of Baal, instead he responds by saying, I am afraid. I'm afraid. And he runs. And so as he runs, he, he takes off southward. He runs through Judah. And if you, if you remember back to like when you were in kids' church, can you picture the map? The map. And so up here at the top, it always says from from Dan to Beersheba. So Dan is at the very northern part of the kingdom. He runs as far south as you can be and still be in the kingdom, and he's running to Beersheba. And then he keeps going into the wilderness. So he goes way into the, to the desert at this point. And uh, when he gets into the desert, he, he lays down underneath a broom tree, which is this scraggly tree. He puts his head down, and he doesn't pray the way he prayed in, in, in chapter 18. He prays to God, and he says, It is enough. Lord, take my life. I'm so over this. I'm done with it. 
And God graciously sends an angel and provides food and nourishment for him and, and then commands him to continue on the journey to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is, uh, anybody know the other name for Mount Horeb? Sinai, good, yes. Oh, yeah, we have people that grew up in Sunday school. All right, <laughs> like me. So Sinai, he, um, he goes to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and there God miraculously reveals himself again. And that last portion with all the, the hard names to, to read that Tracy did such a fantastic job on um, it goes, into, um, goes into how he's obedient after that. So he's obedient after God reveals himself to, to him and, and pointing Israel back, to, back to, the, to, uh, to, to righteous ways, but also appointing the next prophet who's going to be in the line after Elijah. Okay, everybody good? Everybody got it so far? Okay, all right, let's jump into my points. All right, so that's what we're up to. So the big truth for today is God provides for his people. God provides for his people. And two sub-truths to this is going to be God provides provisions for believers, and God provides his presence for believers. So with each of these sub-points, we're going to have three categories that we're going to look at. How does God provide for Elijah, his provision and his presence? How does God provide for us today as believers, if you're a believer, for his provision and his presence? And how does God provide in the future? What are his future promises for provision? What are God's future promises for his presence? Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so let's jump in. So God's provision for Elijah. So verses 4 through 8 says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. And this is where I've been hung up for the last week. This is his response back to God. He says, it is enough now. O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank, and he went on in that strength, in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So notice, Elijah's desperate. He's defeated. He thinks that people should turn their hearts back to God, away from Mount Carmel, uh, uh, hearts after the, the event that happened at Mount Carmel where the, the, the prophets of Baal have been defeated, but instead they don't. He's, he's despondent. He, he cannot believe that they have not turned back in repentance. In fact, he's so despondent, he says I want to, he wants to commit to, 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 he wants to end his life. He, he doesn't say, I want to commit suicide because he knows that's, that would be taking the life of an image bearer, but he asked God to take, take his own life. And he, he prayed for that, in fact. But he doesn't pray the same way again as he does in chapter 8. And he questions, too, like, you know, there's no revival, but yet, God, they've seen the evidence. They saw the fire come down from heaven. Why? It, it reminds me back to, like, Romans 1. So Romans 1, where uh, Paul is addressing the Romans, and he says, he says, look at all of creation. Look at the good things of creation. I, I just think back last night, I was sitting on the couch with my daughter uh, and my family, my wife and daughter, who I love beyond 
measure, and I looked at and I saw the beautiful sunset outside, and I thought, man, there is a beautiful God who reigns over this sunset. He is, he is without question God. That's Romans 1. We were without excuse to know that there's a God here because we see him in creation. And, and that's what Elijah's saying the same thing too. They saw the power of God. So now he's physically, physically and emotionally wasted. He started this journey. He's afraid. Now he's asking for the ending of his life. He's not playing the long game. He didn't even ask for food or sleep. But in this case, God provides. God provides enough food to get him through the suffering. Now notice God doesn't take away the suffering, but God provides the food to get through the suffering. He provides rest, rest as he travels the 200 miles south to go to Horeb in a, in a moment, um, to go to, to Mount Sinai, um, meaning that, that it takes him 40 days, which is about four times longer than it should take him. So he's, he's going at a, at, a, at a decent pace. And God meets the need. So why does God meet the need? Because God's sovereign, and God had a sovereign plan to fulfill, and he's going to do it through his servant Elijah. And we know that too, right? So at the end of the, this, end of, at the end of the passage, we see that his sovereign plan is to appoint these new people in, in place and pass on the baton to Elisha and to call the people of Israel to repentance. The distress all, is always for the sin of his people, turning to their other idols of worship. But God, in this case, provides for the physical needs of Elijah first, where it seems to be little trusting even when he's saying, it is enough. It is enough. I, I like how God doesn't answer his prayer. You ever thought about that? Anybody know, like, you, can, you can answer out, how, like, how Elijah ends up in heaven? Anybody remember that story? Fire yeah, fire in a chariot. Like, he's taken up to heaven in the fire in a chariot, right? He doesn't, really, he doesn't physically die from what we can tell from Scripture, and so I like how Spurgeon, Spurgeon's a, a pastor who pastored in London in the 1900s. He says, this was a man who never died, yet he requested for himself that he might die. How gracious it is on God's part not to grant the request of his people when they are unwise as his petition of Elijah was. Had he known that he would go up by a whirlwind into heaven, riding in chariots, a chariot of fire drawn by horses of fire, surely he would not have prayed after this fashion. How disappointed would we be if God answers our prayers the way we want them to be answered all the time? I'm thankful that God didn't answer Elijah's prayer. All right, so that's us. Uh, so that's that's Elijah. So God's provisions for believers now. So has God ever provided life-giving resources to you that were not what you were expecting, in a way you weren't expecting? Has God ever done that in your life? So Elijah. Elijah remembers a type. He's a shadow. He's like the fake, pla uh, the fake plastic desserts they used to show you at diners in like the 90s. And Man, he's not the real cheesecake, right, that comes in Christ. He's just fake. But Elijah's a type. I want to introduce you guys to some, some friends of mine. Um, so there's a picture that should be coming up here in a second. So uh, this is just kind of to wrap our heads around God's provision and, and for his believers. So this, uh, in the background is the, uh, 
are, are Karamajong Christians. So I'll explain the Karamajong in just a second. So um, Karamajong Christians, this is in northern Uganda. Uh, Uganda, by the way, is a country that's very um, diverse, like most African countries, if not all African countries, are very diverse language, culturally. Um, and so this is a very unique group of beautiful people that live there in northern Uganda. Matter of fact, uh, this is what they, they dress as. Um, they, they wrap these around their bodies. Um, and it shows, it's kind of like the Scottish thing. Is it tar- tar- tartans? Am I right on that? Help me out. Tartans, tartans. All right, they're kind of like tartans. Um, they show like class structure, how, how wealthy somebody is, um, where they fit in, what family they come from. Um, and so you can see them there in the background. These guys are all believers. Um, and they're in the foreground. I'll tell you a little bit about him. That's Selvin. Selvin, unfortunately, picked up a bad habit of the Georgia Bulldogs, but we'll forgive him. Um, so Selvin, his background. So 200 years ago, um, 200 years ago, some, uh, some missionaries landed in southern India. And they brought the gospel to some folks there in southern India. And a family, the Jeremiah's family, believed and, and found faith in Jesus Christ. And some 200 years later, uh, Selvin, Jeremiah, was born into that family. And his family preached him the gospel. And he came to believe in Jesus Christ. And eventually his family moved from southern India to be missionaries. Keep, this is great. Missionaries from southern India to Augusta, Georgia, where his dad it was a, um, and is a, a pastor among Indians there, but also Selvin later on became a pastor among uh, Americans and, and a youth pastor. Um, and then later on, him and his wife, uh, Laurel, uh, moved with their three kiddos eventually to Sudan and then later to Uganda. So this is a side note, but just, just wrestle with this for a second. Think about the global impact of that, those missionaries that went to India 200 years ago and landed there, and the impact of the gospel, not only on that continent, but in the American continent, and now on the African continent. So, all right. So that's Selvin. But in the background, this is what I really want to focus on today, are the beautiful people of the Karamajong. Um, and so, uh, there they are. And um, so, just a little bit about where they live. This is high bush country. Uh, it's, it's this time of year, they're coming into their, 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 really they're right in the middle of their dry season. There's a wet and a dry season. Um, and they are 12 to 15 hours away from the closest hospital. I mean, it's a bush flight to either get out of there or it's 12 to 15 hours by dirt roads really back to Kampala. Um, provisions are slim. And desperation starts setting in every time around, really May and June, for food and provisions. So there's two routes to really taking Karamajong. So the Karamajong, about only about 5% of the population are believers. It's not like southern Uganda where it's majority Christian. Uh, the northern part of the country is very, uh, they believe in, in traditional religions like animism. So many of the local unbelievers um, turn, to, um, turn to, the, to, the, to the local gods that they pray to. They turn to drum beats late into the night to appease the gods to ask for rains. They wear trinkets. These, these, these trinkets around their, 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 uh, around their arms and their ankles for inviting the God's power to come. Many of them turn to, because they have no other choice because they're hungry, they turn to cattle raiding and they raid the villages next door to them, which has prompted the government, who's not the biggest fan of the Karamajong, to come in and to settle these disputes with the military. So there's often gunfire late at night and people die. It's desperate. Life is at stake. And many people, many times, many 
times a year say, in the same way that Elijah says, they say, it is enough. It is enough. Family members starved. The cattle theft has left them without cattle, and many of them move to the slums where they're not wanted because they're a minority into the cities of like Kampala and other cities where they only find work as um, often as, as, as sex slaves or in the sex industry there in those, those slums, or they turn to alcohol. Alcoholism is abounding there. It's probably 50 to 60% of the folks struggle with some kind of addiction. So it's dark. On the other hand, and by the way, this next slide too, um, it'll show you kind of the landscape of Karamajong. This is August 29th. So um, this is well into their, dry, to their wet season. So they should by this point have had plenty of rain. And then Laurel sent this picture out. This is on August 29th. So what, two weeks ago, she sent this picture out saying, please pray, pray for us here in Karamajong. We have, in the Karamoja region, we have not received the rains yet. And you can see how dry that is. It is parched. Their, their crops have not come up. They live off of millet and off corn, and they have, not, they have not come up yet. And so we do. Every year I get this message, and, I'm, and I pray. I pray, and me, and along with thousands of other people that know the people of Karamojo, we pray for the rains to come. We pray for provisions to come through other agencies. If it's, if it's you know, on a truck, that's great. Uh, Selvin and some other folks have been involved in teaching and giving loans to some of the local folks there that don't have any kind of interest to build chicken houses and to provide for their families. But we pray for these things. And they pray even deep, more deeply than we do that the rain may come. And, um, and, and the Christians there, that, that photograph I showed you of those Christians that live there, uh, just a second ago, they pray deeply. They pray deeply that the Lord would do a work and that they would, the rains would come not only, um, not only to provide for their families, but to show the power of God. But they also have the heart and the posture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. And this is what they say. So if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this, instead of burning fiery furnace, deliver us from this drought, this, without having food, this famine, he will deliver us out of, out of your hand, O king. But if not, this is their posture, but if not, be it known to you, O king, or in this case, other gods, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're going to trust God whether or not the food comes or not. That's their posture. And they don't turn to false gods. So, by the way, on slide, this next slide, I'll show you too um, that in this case, this year, this is September 8th, so just a few days ago, we're all posted this. Uh, so, food arrived to Karamoja. Praise the Lord. They're going to have food this year. But again, next year, it'll be a, an opportunity for them to pray for the food and the rains to come, and we pray for that every year. Um, so, how does this apply to us? God provides as we rely on Him. This is not a health and wealth, name it, claim it approach that turns the relationship with the Father into a transaction, right? Who am I to tell God that I do this and you give me that? He's a sovereign God. No, it's much deeper, and I would, I would say a thousand times over, much more rewarding than that. It's a deep trusting that even if God doesn't provide for us in the way we expect, we still trust and know we serve a faithful and a good God. So what do I mean by that? So God satisfies our physical appetites, God satisfies our physical appetites in a narrow sense, food. So among the Karamajong, like they read Matthew 6, 26, and they live by it. So Matthew 6, 26, this is the um, Sermon on the Mount. 
And Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? In a broader sense, in a Western culture, and by the way, we can say things about, about worshiping other gods among the Karamoja. What are the idols and what are the gods in our culture? They're just as deep and just as harmful. So in 1 Corinthians, they talk about, Paul talks about appetites. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Brother and sister, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. So glorify God in your body. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So we pursue healthy appetites to honor God's image, you, me, Everybody created on, on earth is created in God's image, and they have dignity. Every child born in Karamoja is a beautiful child and is, and is, and is born with the dignity of God's image. So we're, we're to, we are per, to pursue healthy appetites to honor God's image and pursue his purposes. It's not about you. It's about him for his glory. So we are temples of his Holy Spirit. Humanity are his image bearers, bringing dignity we are embodied individuals. Embodied means that we have a spirit that lives inside of our bodies, and our bodies are to be respected. They're not evil. We're not to be cast off our bodies. So often in our culture today, our app, they, they tell us that, that, that we can do anything we please with our bodies, but the spirit's good. That is not the biblical case for our bodies. We're to take care of our bodies for his purposes. So this means our sexual desires are kept right within the confines of the marriage bed. For example, these are just examples of a couple our eating habits, both enjoying his creation with healthy limits. So we're the opposite of the Karamojan oftentimes, right? Now look, if you go back and read, I'd encourage you, go back and read Ecclesiastes this week if you want some answers. And it's a great book, by the way, where uh, the writer Solomon says, uh, enjoy God's creation. So like, enjoy it, right? Go out to the beach and enjoy the beach. Go eat a steak. Go eat a steak this week if you, if you desire that and enjoy it. Uh, some ice cream or whatever that looks like, but do that within the moderation of, of service to God and understanding that your body is a, is a temple to his Holy Spirit, and we're to honor that in that way, okay? So, also besides our physical appetites, God gives us mental comfort. So God comforts our restless minds. Think back to Elijah, right? It is enough. He was afraid, Yet in Matthew 6, right after the birds of the air uh, portion that, that we looked at a second ago, 626, 627 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And he goes down and he says, You're more valuable than the lilies of the field, and yet God provides for the lilies of the field. And you're more valuable than them. So what is our command out of that is, But first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. We seek first God. We seek his righteousness first. And then he adds these things to us. We trust in the Lord. We abide in Christ. There's a deep trusting as we pursue his righteousness. Understanding what it says in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds to Christ Jesus. We rest in Christ first we rest. And out of that is an outflow. The resting comes an outflow. It's a daily practice. And guys, I would invite you, if you struggle with this and trusting the Lord, 
Rest in him. Place your mind to him. Set your mind to him. And then I love how Paul commends Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for righteousness. Train yourself for righteousness. That word train, train, the Greek for that, (laughs) this is my Alabama coming out, so you can make fun if you want. But the Greek for that is gymnasio. Gymnasio. Does that sound like a word that, does that sound like an English word? Gymnasio. I mean, you speak, speak, speak. Gymnasium, right? It sounds like gymnasium. It's a real sweaty term. It's a, it's, a, it's a doing term, right? So train yourself. Get in there. Do the work. Train yourself for godliness. But we rest first, and then out of that comes the flow of righteousness towards godliness. So I'll leave you with this. What idols, idols or ideas do you turn to in our world for temporary mental relief? What idols or ideas do you turn to in our world for temporary mental relief? So here's some practical steps before we move on very quickly is if you're struggling with this, like I can point to a hundred, not a hundred, but I can point to lots of scripture verses that have to do with commands to where the church is called to take care of orphans, the widows, the poor, the faint hearted in first Thessalonians fives, Paul commands the church to, to encourage the faint hearted, the, the ones that are anxious, the other believers, right? So for one, if you're struggling in these areas, lean into the church, that's the church's job to take care of its, other, its own believers and the people around us that aren't believers. We're called to do these things. And secondly, if, if you're not doing these things and taking care of those around you, then do these things. We're called to do these things. There's great joy in that. All right. So what's God's future provision? God's future provision for us, his promises to us. So for one, uh, I, I turn to 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Paul promises, it's a promise from God that one day our bodies will be physically resurrected. Like this old, this old body right here, there's days I wish I still felt like I was 18, and I don't, man. I was at the knee doctor this week. Uh, it sucks. But I know one day there's a promise from God that I will be, my body will be resurrected and will be standing next to Jesus in a new heavens and a new earth. And not only that, so that's, that's Elijah's ultimate hope is he has physical provisions provided for him right here. And that's the care of Moja's ultimate hope, too, is they have their, one day they may or may not get their physical provisions provided for here, but one day they will have their physical provisions provided for completely in Christ. So here's, the, here's what we hang our hat on. I always go back to Revelation 22, and it says in Revelation 22, we're around the throne room, we're, we're, we're in the presence of God, and what does God do? He says, he will wipe away every tear. This is the future promise of you. We will be resurrected in our new bodies in the new Jerusalem and the new heavens, and he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God provides for his believers now and in the future perfectly. So we've looked at God's provision for his people. Let's quickly move on, and we won't spend as much time on this next portion. But God's presence among his people. God provides presence among his people. So the Bible, um, so back to, back to, back to Elijah. God, the Bible shows uh, 
before we get back to Elijah, I, I love how the Bible is very uh, transparent with the authors and the folks that are in the Bible. I mean, these are real people that live, that walk the earth. And, um, and, um, and they share their souls, and they complain at times. So uh, <laughs> Jeremiah is one of my favorite. I was looking these up this week. So Jeremiah says at one point, um, he says, in Jeremiah 20, he says, Why did I come out of the womb to see toil and sorrow and to spend my days in shame? I mean, that sounds like an emo song from middle school. <laughs> I mean, David... David in Psalm 13, this is David, the guy that defeated Goliath, right? All right. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Hide your face from me. He's complaining to God, right? Now, again, he turns his trust back to God eventually. So Elijah is doing the same thing. Elijah had just seen the Spirit of God move powerfully and, 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 and destroy the, the bells, prophets of Baal there in, in chapter 18. And says, then in chapter 19, it says he was afraid. And he says, it is enough. God, take my life. But he follows in obedience to the angel's commands. He travels that 40 days back to Mount Sinai, to, to Horab. And the Lord is gracious to Elijah there, and he shows his presence to him. So let's look at that verse very quickly. I'm starting in verse 11. So this is, this is, um, this is the Lord speaking to, to Elijah. And he said, Go stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. And the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? That should bring to mind Genesis 3, where... God questions Adam and Eve, and he says, why, why are you hiding? Here God confronts, he knows the answer, but God confronts Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and even I, I only, <laughs> he says, I'm the only one left. They seek my life to take it away. So notice even here, Elijah still isn't, in, isn't guiltless on his own on far part. He's still showing self-pity. He's saying, I, even I, only am left, when just right after this it said there's still 7,000 believers. He's still inward focused, but yet God's still gracious to him and shows his presence to him. God showers his presence on Elijah. And just think, great power against the prophets of Baal did not change people's hearts, or great power exposed, or the great power exposed here to the earthquakes and the fire and the wind but notice what does change Elijah's heart. It was God's small, still voice. How often is that the case in our lives? Do we sit and take time to reflect and listen to the Spirit talk to us? Do we spend time reflecting while we read God's Word as it talks to us and speaks truth to our heart? So, that's Elijah. What is God's promised presence now? I love how, like, Elijah looks for, for physical 
comfort and refuge in physical places. So places of refuge we seek, uh, he seeks is, is the, the broom tree. Um, he seeks the cave. He goes to the cave. But eventually he's always exposed, right? God comes to Elijah and is hiding. So back to Uganda, I want to show you a picture of my, that's my friend Simon. Um, I'll tell you more about Simon in just a sec. But um, Uganda, again, sets it high. It's a, a, it's a mile above sea level. It's like 6,000 foot above sea level. It's, um, and right here, it's hard to tell, but we're like 150 foot up in the air. We're on a tall rock. I mean, it looks like pride rock from the Lion King right here. And uh, the only thing to really get into is there's some crevices. They, they provide some shelter on the way up. There's a few uh, trees, those scraggly trees that you can kind of hide in. But to me, it's kind of a picture of what Elijah's dealing with. Um, 300 years ago, the folks, uh, the Karamoja, the Karamojong, uh, they, they migrated southward from places like Ethiopia just to the north in, in, um, in Kenya. They're related to the Maasai people, if you know the Maasai people. Uh, and they, when they got to this point, they stopped. And their name literally means, Karamojong literally means, the place where the old men could walk no farther. The place where the old men could walk no farther. And it, it reminds me of so much of a way of, um, of their spiritual condition today, and for that matter, our spiritual condition. They were exposed here, right? So their old men were exposed to, I mean, there's great ways to die here, black mamas, cheetahs, tribal warfare, but they're also exposed spiritually. And generation after generation of relying on false gods, presence, there's no power. There's no power or promise of future grace. It's a dead religion that relies on animism to overcome such desperation, such as child and spousal abuse and rampant alcoholism. A spiritual picture of where the old man could walk no further. But here's the grace. So Pastor Simon, by the way, Pastor Simon is just a Brilliant guy. He's one of these guys that walks in a room and just has the attention and the authority because he just has a presence about him. The Lord is just with him. And um, he is, he's brilliant. He knows much of the New and Old Testament by heart because his people, many of them, do not read or write. So he, he shares these, these stories orally with them. Um, and he also shepherds, I don't know, 8, 10 pastors, probably more at this point, probably 20 pastors that he shepherds and, and points to truth daily and walks with them. Um, he... Uh, Pastor Simon's also heavily persecuted in his community um, because he doesn't, for one, like I'll give you an example. Um, he's now gentle. Since he became a believer, he's now gentle with his wife. So the, the custom there is that, that you are to, to beat your wife uh, and your kids uh, to get them in line. Um, and that's seen as an honorable thing. And, and so that's not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us to be gentle and to be gentle with our children and, and to view the the servanthood of, of the marriage, right? We serve our wives, and, he, and she serves him. And so it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, but he still faces much, much persecution. But the good thing is, the, 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 I think the, the most the beautiful thing in the restoration of this land is, and just over the last few years, there's been in this area, I think something like eight churches planted, hundreds of baptisms. I, I can't tell you the number of stories about women coming out of alcoholism. They've been giving new, new life through new new opportunities of, of trade, like they're making things that are, that are reproducible, that they can sell to the outside world, that are, that's something outside of making and brewing alcohol that they can sell. There's a great restoration going on right now in Karamajong. 
among the Karamajong people, and above all, God's saving his people. They're finding salvation. So our culture, by the way, I don't you can sit here and point the finger to the Karamajong all you want to. Man, our culture has just as many wicked things that we struggle with week in, week out. Right? No, and it's different here. We might find our idols in different places, whether or not that's our presence with our job. We might turn even our children into idols or images that we look at. All of these things, and those are just a few examples that we turn our hearts to instead of the guaranteed presence of the Spirit in the life of a believer. Our culture, guys, is in no way different than theirs. Our culture is a place where the old man could walk no further. But the great thing is that Jesus promised when he walked the earth to provide and comfort us through his presence. And he sends the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So we get that on Pentecost in Acts 2. Romans 8, one of my favorite passages right here. Romans 8 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So God implants us. When we're saved, God implants His Spirit. His Spirit lives within us. And this is the great promise right here of Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption of, as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That means Daddy. We cry, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, you are a child of God if you trust in Jesus. And the Spirit comforts you and convicts you in that. So what are some practical things that can come out of this? We already talked about abiding. Abiding in Christ is the, is the first step. But also, guys, we have community. The Spirit of God lives among his people right here, right as we do this, right? So we have community. The world, we live in a world that longs for community but doesn't know how to approach it. We do. We have the answers for this as Christians. So, guys, let me, let me encourage you. Um, lean into the church and community. There's several different ways that we do that here at Pillar. That are just, this is the one way to do it, but this is the way we're, we're doing it. She can plug into MCs, missional communities, which are, um, which are uh, communal groups where we pray for one another, we shepherd one another, we, we read God's word together. The Spirit is there among his people and comforting in that. that. There's also men's and women's ministry, youth ministry, singles ministry. There's, a, there's even a ministry for, for dependents that are men. Get plugged in. If you have questions on that, I'd love to talk to you about that. So Elijah was distressed over a king, Ahab, and Jezebel, his wife. But we can turn to the perfect king. His helper, the spirit, confirms in our spirit that we are his children. If you're like me, and this is where I struggle, it's always in the sinful striving of doing things on my own power. I don't know if you guys are in the same boat as me, but that is my daily struggle. It's, Lord, I'm doing this on my own power. I'm striving underneath my own power. But we can turn and trust the Spirit to comfort us, to convict us, and also the finished work of the gospel as we preach the gospel to ourselves that Jesus died in our place and our sins are forgiven. I love how Fitzpatrick says it this way. Fitzpatrick says, the depressed don't simply need to feel better. Remember, Elijah's... Elijah's uh, Elijah's got a lot of fear in his life. The, the depressed don't need to simply feel better. They need a redeemer who says, take heart, my son, my daughter, what you really need. 
has been supplied. Life no longer need be about your goodness, successes, righteousness, or failure. I've given you something infinitely, infinitely more valuable than good feelings. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So let's wrap this thing up. So what is our promise for the future provision of his presence? God's promised future presence. And it's this. We serve an eternal God, even as a faint voice of Elijah. But we can look ahead to the promise of future grace, as Piper puts it, future grace, a reality that we're, we can hang our hat on this. This is the reality that, that as Christians, we can have a firm foundation in this. And so Revelation 22, we've already read from Revelation 1. So Revelation 22 says this. This is a picture that John has of a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is going to come back, defeat Satan, and he's going to call his people back to him in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the picture of what that reality will be one day. Elijah didn't have this. Elijah didn't know he'd be called to heaven with a, on chariots of fire and those things, or else he wouldn't have prayed that prayer, I'm guessing. But guys, we have this as a promise to us. Set our minds to this. Here's Revelations 22. Three, no longer will there be anything accursed. So by accursed, he means no longer sin, no striving, no more little girls in the slums of Kampala entering the sex trade. There'll be no more pain, no more distress, no more, this is where the, the, the old man could walk no further. No more, it is enough. No longer will be, there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And here's the greatest promise. Remember Elijah hid his face, right? They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. God will claim us as his own. He will put his name on our foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light, lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever, and there will be no sickness, no more pain, no more distress. That's something we can hang our hat on, guys. So the bottom line, God provides for his people, his presence and his provisions. So maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you're new to Christianity and asking questions. I'd love to talk to you about what Christianity is. Uh, but you know there's something broken in the world that you know that that you're striving and it just doesn't seem like it's ever fulfilling. I'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is. He's a, the son of God who came. He gave his life for your sins and my sins, and he died. He was dead in the grave and raised from that death to be at the right hand of the Father, and he takes our place. Maybe you're a Christian and you're not trusting in the Lord and his provisions and presence like you should be. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you of Romans eight sixteen again. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. What is your posture towards the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace, your goodness, your presence. Lord, um, be with us now. Your presence is here now. And convict our hearts, Lord. May we turn back to you. This isn't about us, a man or a woman or anything. It's, it's about you. May our hearts turn to you and glorify you in all that we do. Change our hearts, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.